I showed that video. That's an oldie goldie. I, the group that does videos called One Time Blind, and uh, they always are so profound, even though they're humorous. They're so profound because so many of us, that's how we treat Jesus. That's how we treat him because unless you have an intimate, personal relationship with him, you're just going to treat him like some abstract person that, that you think you've got to say the religious words to connect with him. And Jesus, in that, in that video, he just says, I just want you to be real with me. He makes the statement, Jesus says this in that video, when you live in me, you'll understand who you are and what you're living for. So this whole series has been about intimacy. Uh, this is the sixth and final week on the, on the series about intimacy. And we've talked about everything about trust, about uh, our relationship on uh, how he lives in us and we live through him. And we've talked about uh, the, the filters that God gives us, the, natural, the, the supernatural filters he gives us so that we can hear him better, we can see him better, we can walk in the things of the Spirit. We, we saw last week to me to, uh, talking about the blood covenant. We're in this blood covenant, which is a cutting where we are circumcised in our hearts and he's cut to the heart to bring us to this place of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the King of kings and Lord of lords, personal relationship, personal fellowship, intimacy with him. And so I want to conclude today, but we're going to go to the book of James. The book of James, James was the brother, half-brother, or the half-brother of Jesus, however you want to say it. But he, all, he also, he wrote this book to the, the Jewish people that had converted to Christianity, but they were, they were in a difficult time. They were walking through a lot of difficulties in, in walking in this thing called intimacy. Now, you may see, may, may see this scripture in chapter 4. I'm gonna, we're going to go line by line, precept by precept. This is going to be different today. So if, you, if you're going to take notes, you might want to take shorthand. Uh, but we're going to see, why would you go to chapter 4 to talk about intimacy with, intimacy with God? And Because here's the thing. My, my, my wife and I were walking. We were talking about the sermons. We always talk about this, what God's speaking to us. And, and, and the thing about it is, how do we live out what is preached? How does that become a part of our daily life? How does it become a part of our moment-by-moment -moment life? Because so many of us, we become religious, and we think that's okay, and it's not okay to be religious. It, it, religion will separate you from God because you will think that you've got to speak this way, talk this way, jump through these hoops to please God, and, and really what wanting wanting to, to do with you is have you close to Him so He can be close to you. And that's in the middle of this passage, in the middle of this book, in this, this fourth chapter. But I want us to see some practical things that James was very practical. He's the one that wrote about faith without works is dead. He's the one that said, listen, your, your mouth is like a, it can set a, set a forest on fire, okay? He talked about all these practical things. But I want to show you some practical things. And when we talk about intimacy, it always, not always, but most of the time it goes back to a husband-wife relationship. Because we've been called to intimacy with one another. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading with verse 1. I'll be using the Passion Translation. And we're just going to go quickly through some points that I believe will help you as we close this series out to walk in more intimacy with the Lord. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? Okay, got your pens? Got your tablet? Whatever? Okay. James 4.1. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? The first thing you need to know is if you're going to walk in intimacy, you can't walk in selfishness. 
If you, if you think you can walk in intimacy with God and you're walking, your life is full of conflicts and quarrels, you will never have that intimate walk with the Lord. Let me ask you, husbands and wives, when you have your knockdown, drag out fight, is there intimacy involved in that other than some of the words that you use? Is there intimacy when you have a fight? Oh, my goodness, no. Unless you consider intimacy, she's in that bedroom and I'm in that bedroom. I'm in my man cave and she's in her woman cave or, or she shed. You know, there, there's no intimacy there because quarrels and conflicts. Listen, the same thing happens with our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're in conflict with him, we're not going to be intimate with him. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at verse 2. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. The second thing you have to see here is, is it's huge, and especially it's huge in the church. It's called jealousy. It's called wanting something that's not yours. It's, wanting, it's you putting somebody else down so you can elevate yourself. Jealousy will destroy a marriage. Jealousy can destroy a church. Jealousy can destroy a business partners. Jealousy can destroy your intimacy with God. Did you understand that? Because you think you deserve something. You think you're better than. Have you ever been in a church where you have elite groups within the church? Some people call them cliques. And everybody else is like, man, they think they're better than the rest of us. And sometimes they actually think that. Not all the times, but a lot of times they do. Well, we've, we're more spiritual than you. We have more gifts than you. We speak in tongues more than you do. And so we, we think, I've got, I can do this and I can do it better than them. They, I wish they would just come alongside me. I wish they would get on up to my level. Right? Listen, that causes division in the church. It causes people to start each other like, man, I don't know if they like me or not. I don't know if they want to include me or not. I'm, maybe I'm not as good as them. Maybe I'm not as spiritual as them. So jealousy, he's talking about jealousy here. Your jealousy will divide you in the church. It can destroy a church. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 7 and 10. Because he says in this verse in, in, in James 2, says, You scheme with envy and harm others, selfishly obtain uh, what you crave, and that's why you quarrel and fight. In fact, the New King James Version, it's a little bit more harsh. He says this, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. That's a little bit more harsh, isn't it? That's what jealousy, and you know what the end, end result of jealousy is? Anybody know what it is? It's murder. Hate, wrath, rage, jealousy, murder. How many murders do you think happen in our country every year because of somebody's jealousy that turned into rage and wrath and comes down to the end? 1 Timothy 6, look look at what uh, Paul says to Timothy here. Isn't it true that our hands were empty when we came to the world? I was just thinking of the song we were singing, New Wine. I came here with nothing. We came here with nothing, church, and when we leave this world, our hands will be empty again. There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse. There, there just aren't. You can't take it with you. The same. I, I've been to funerals where people put things in the coffin like, are you really? Why would you put stuff in the coffin? Well, you know, they might need it. No. Have you heard about the guy that he, he, he owed this man that died? He owed him a lot of money. And so he just he wrote a check to pay him back, and he put it in the coffin. Paid my debt. <laughs> because of this, he says, food and clothing is enough to make us content, but those who crave the wealth of this world slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped by the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. And they take others down with them. So when you 
start walking in jealousy, you're going to take other people down with you. It's not just going to be you. They take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. Loving money is the root of all evils. Some people run after it so much that they have given up their faith. Craving more money pushes them away from faith into error, compounding misery into their lives. I've seen people coming out of addictions, and, and especially addictions. I don't know why it's addictions, but especially if they've, if they've had a lot of money at one time. Maybe they were a drug dealer. I'm not going to ask you if you raise your hands if you're a drug dealer. <clears throat> but they, they go to, they, some, sometime, many times they go to prison. They get saved. They get Jesus, and they come back out. And you know what attracts them more than anything? It's not the drugs again. It's the money. It's the lifestyle. It's, it's all that. And so they give their life to Jesus, and they start walking this thing out, and all of a sudden they find that they're broke, and they man, I can make so much money so quickly if I just... How many of you... Man, don't raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> but there's something about us wanting what other people have. You know, it's, not, it's no longer let's just keep up with the Joneses. Let's dominate the Joneses. Let's triumph over the Joneses. So jealousy, guys, is it goes deeper than just saying, I, I, I really want something. It, it can lead down a, a dark, dangerous path. Now let's move on. James uh, 4, verse 2, the second part of verse 2. And all the time, you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it, for you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fill your own selfish desires. You know, the first point I made about selfishness kind of goes along with all of these. Because he's talking about a misguided prayer life. Misguided. Did you know that when, you don't, when you're not intimate with God, when you don't have this one-on-one -on -one relationship with God and you're not listening to him, you're not following his, his leading, then you will start having a misguided prayer life. And you'll wonder, why aren't my prayers being answered? It's because you're not asking the right things. Anybody ever find that to be true in your life? You, you, let's just take the guys, for instance. You saw this girl way across the room and you said, that's going to be my wife. Right? And you start praying, God, give me that woman, give me that woman, give me that woman. And you don't get that woman, so you get upset with God. So you, God's not listening to my prayers. Well, listen, that lady might have been the worst thing could ever happen to you. Some of the guys are going, well, <laughs> I did get the one I prayed for, and, you know. Guys, the Scripture is very clear about how we pray. 1 John 5, 14 says, now... This is the confidence that we have in him, in Christ, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Say according to his will. That means we don't ask misguided prayers. Our prayer life is in line with the word of God. Listen, if your prayers aren't lining up with the word of God, they're misguided prayers. If your prayers aren't being led by the Holy Spirit, they're misguided prayers. So check your prayer life, church. Check your prayer life. Romans 8, 26. Uh, well, what if we don't know how to pray? What if we don't know what to pray in a certain situation? He gives us the answer. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for. Have you ever been that way? I, I don't know how to pray in this one, Pastor. He says it right here. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, he's talking about praying in the Spirit here. You can pray in the Spirit. That's why people go, well, I don't understand. Why, why do I need a prayer language? Because when you have a prayer language, you can pray in your prayer language. God hears you, and you don't even have to know what you're praying. Matter of fact, you don't know what you're praying. You just start be, begin to pray in your prayer language, and God hears, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to you. 
We live this life being led by the Spirit of God. A lot of people go, well, that's not talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading us. Uh, it's not talking about the prayer language. I believe very clearly this preach, uh, speaking about our prayer language. Now, it could be your groanings because you're so, you're so hurt by some situation that you're just groaning before God. And I think God hears that too. And I believe that he hears that too. And that could apply here. But the Bible says if you want to build up your most holy faith, you pray in the Spirit. You know, we talk about the putting on the armor of God. And we, we, we kind of leave out that last part of the armor and pray always and pray in the Spirit. It's important that we understand to pray in the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about the gift of tongues in the sense that you're going to speak in tongues and somebody else is going to interpret it in the church setting. That's a different thing. I'm talking about the 1 Corinthians 14 type of praying in the Spirit. So if you want to go back and read 1 Corinthians 14, it'll give you some understanding. But we're not going to spend a lot of time there because i got lots of points to make. Okay? So pray in a way that it lines up with Scripture. Pray in a way that you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and give you answers. Don't have a misguided prayer life. James 4.4 4 says, You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting, say flirting, <clears throat> where the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. The four things that the what not to do is don't become friends with the world. Now, that sounds like, oh, that's easy, Pastor. I'm not going to be friends with the world. Is that easy or not? Because we're inundated with what? The world. We're inundated with the, the culture. We're inundated with media that's all about, mostly about the world. And so the, world, the, the scriptures don't be conformed to the world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds, Right? So we can't allow that world to become our partner. We can't allow the world to, to come into our life and dominate our life because he says that you, become, you have become spiritual adulterers. That's, you know what an adulterer is? is? It's a person having intimate relationships with the wrong person. The spiritual adulterer. People that have affairs. People that commit adultery. Think about it. What's, what's, how does it start? How does adultery start in, in, in a marriage? It's when somebody gets their eyes off of their partner and they get their eyes on somebody else. You know, they think the grass is greener on the other side. Well, I like what Irma Bombeck said about that. You don't know who that is, I'm sure. But she said, yeah, the grass is greener over the septic tank. <laughs> Isn't that true? We think it's going to be better over there. I mean, we're just going to go after that because my wife, she don't pay attention to me anymore. So the secretary does pay attention to me. And so we have, and this is what, this is the way we do it in, in spiritual lives. He says, flirting with the world's values. We flirt with the world. Oh, I'm not, I'm not getting into the world, pastor. Uh, but you're just flirting with the world. What does it mean to flirt? Anybody know what it means to flirt? It's that wink. It's that, hey, 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 you, yeah, yeah. My wife? No, no, we're, no, we're just, we're, we're, we're casual friends, you know, flirting with the world. So he's called us not to flirt with the world, but to be intimate with Jesus Christ. Our focus has got to be on our Lord and Savior, not the world's values. James 1.13 says, when you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is the devil's fault. Oh, no, no, wait. Does, does it say that in your Bible? 
Indeed, instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Hmm. But the devil made me do it. You heard that one, haven't you? How many of you have used that one before? Man, I, I just can't believe I did. The devil made me do it. I, it wasn't me, Mom. It was the devil that made me do it. And the Bible says that we're... Listen, the devil plants lies, but he cannot force you to sin. Did y'all know that? He can't force you to sin. That's your own choice. It's my own choice. He can't force you to flirt with the world. That's got to be our own choices. So if you want to walk in intimacy with God, you've got to give up some things so you can be close to him. Amen? He says, it's each person's own desires and thoughts that drags them into evil and lures them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can what? Murder you. So my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. We talked in this church many times about unholy alliances. You know what an unholy alliance is? It's, it's, it's when two people have totally different perspectives on life and how to live life. Totally different perspectives on belief systems. And yet they come together because of some attraction that brings them together. And we call that an unholy alliance. Come to me for marriage, premarital counseling. And if one of them comes into me and he, she, she says, well, I, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. And I want my, I want my husband to be the, the spiritual leader of my family. And I look at the husband. How about you? He said, well, I don't even believe in God. That would be an unholy alliance. And I would say, no, 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 stop here. Don't go any further. But people get lured into, they get, they get lured into these uh, associations. See, an unholy can be not just between a man and a woman. It can be, be between two partners and going into business. How many of you ever went into business with somebody that was not the same mind as you? Come on, raise your hand. They had the same mindset, the same way of thinking. And what happened to that business? More than likely, it, fall, it fell because you had an unholy alliance. So when we have unholy alliances when with the enemy, we're flirting with the enemy, we lose that intimacy that God's craving and desiring for us to have with him. Verse 5. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? The fifth thing that we have that we've got to be careful about, church, is what we believe about scripture. He says this right here. He says, does the scripture mean nothing to you that says this? If you believe, if you trust God, then you need to trust his word because God and his word are the same thing. How many of you said, well, I believe the scriptures, pastor, but, and we had to put the big but in there, but, you know, I think it's giving me some leeway here to do this. Or we take the scriptures and we like to fit them to us. In our lifestyle. So we can prove, you know, you can prove anything with the scripture. You can take a verse out of context and you can pretty much prove any way you want to live. And God says, no, that's not the design. I want you to fit yourself to the word, not me. Not, I, I want you to come into submission to the word of God and live by the word of God, the whole counsel of God, not just the parts you like. So many people, I, I, I want to only want to study in this and this. I like this one. But man, I don't like that passage. I don't like that. I like it where it says that we can drink. I, I love it, but I, I don't like the passage where it says don't get drunk. Because I got drunk last night. No, I didn't personally. But <laughs> 17, that's the last time.
Why wouldn't we trust the word? Why wouldn't we trust the word? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, God has transmitted his very substance into every scripture, for it is God-breathed. We sang that. This is the air I breathe. My daily bread. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Over and over and over. Guys, if you think you're going to have to walk fellowship with a living God and you never open your word, your love letter to you from God, then I promise you there will not be the intimacy that is needed for you to walk in this close, dynamic relationship with the, with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, so many people tell me, well, pastor, I just I don't understand the word. Listen, there's no reason that you can't understand the word. There's so many translations out there now that you can find the easy, uh, easy to read version. You can find the most King James with the these and the thous. You can find it everywhere in between. But there's no excuse for you not having the word in their other countries. They would they, they would lay down their lives for a scrap of the word. And we have Bibles. How many of you have more than one Bible in your home? How many of you have more than 10 Bibles in your home? We have Bibles everywhere. People come to this church. I don't have a Bible. Here's a Bible. We give them away all the time. But it's the living word, the God-breathed word. of It's him breathing in on us and in us and through us. How else can we have an intimate relationship if we don't know the Lord that wrote the, the, the love letters in red? Amen. Verse 6. But he, Jesus, continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out grace when you're humble. Almost every sermon, you hear so many of the same things from this pulpit today, from, from this pulpit, uh, the, that we have to, if we're going to walk in intimacy, we also have to walk in humility. Humility is one of the greatest keys to intimacy that you'll ever find in the Scripture. Isn't that interesting that God resists us when we're walking in, in pride? You know that word resist means to battle or to oppose yourself. Woo! God, how many of you want to fight with God? How many, I, I'm going to tell you, he's going to win every time. And it says, when you resist God, you're actually resisting yourself. You're damaging yourself. When you resist God, and yet we do it all the time. God says, I want you to do this. Oh, God, not today. Oh, God, I, God says, I want you to go to this. I want you to go over here and speak to this person. Well, God, I don't think I can do that today. I don't have time today. I'm so we have so many other things on our mind to do. And God says, do this, do this, do this. And we say, oh, well, God, no, not really. I can't do that. And he says, quit resisting me. Quit resisting me. Quit resisting me because you're only hurting yourself. Pride equals resistance from God, and humility equals the grace from God. He says, I will pour out my grace. Listen, where would we be if it weren't for grace? Because we've all walked in pride at one time or the other, maybe even walking in it right now. What, what, where would we be if it weren't for the grace of God that he keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out? Verse 7, so then surrender to God, stand up to the devil, and resist him, and he will flee in agony. <laughs> There's intimacy in surrender. So many people like to quote that verse. I resist the devil and he's got to flee. No, 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 no. You got it wrong, for, uh, brother. You got to submit to God first. 
Before you can commit, you have to submit. Understand that? And God showed me something this week, and it may be not profound to you, but it was kind of a profound moment for me as I'm studying the Word, and I thought about the word surrender. We sing about surrender. How many songs do you think we have about surrender? We sing about surrender all the time, don't we? I surrender all, you know, all to Jesus. We talk about surrender all the time. And I'm thinking, do we really know what that means? Do we really understand what it means to surrender to God? And so this is what the Lord showed me. He said, Harold, until you figured out that you've lost the battle, there's no way you can surrender. In any war, when surrender took place, it's because one country or one army, they gave up. They said, we can't do this anymore. We have lost the battle. So what's the battle that we need to lose? We need to lose the battle of the flesh. As long as you think, listen to me, church, as long as you think you can work your way through it and you can figure it out on your own and you can get there without God's help, then you don't need to surrender. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you alive? Are you dead? Okay. Dead to sin. That would be the religious answer. Okay. But this is so important that you get this. It's, you can't surrender and say, God, I want your way. And as, as long as you're saying, but I'm going to do it my way. You know, you can sing the song. You can raise your hands. You can jump. You can shout. Oh, God, I just give it all up to you. And you walk out those doors and there's not one thing you've given up to God because you're going to go do what you want to do. You already made your mind up and you're going to do what you want to do before you even came to the church inside these church walls. You've already got your day planned. You've got your week planned. And God's not in the plans. Oh, but God, I surrender. I give you all for a moment, for a second, until I get outside. And then I get back in my world. And I flirt with the world again. Intimacy. There's intimacy, guys, when we start surrendering. When we figure out, God, I can't do this without you. I can't live life without you. I can't breathe without you. I can't go on without you. That's when surrender comes. Verse 8, first part of it. See, this is the centerpiece of this chapter. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. Number eight is intimacy means you move closer. You, me. Didn't that, you ever read that scripture? Well, God, you mean you're not, you're already here. You're already with me. So why do I have to move closer to you if you're already in within me? So why would he say this? Move closer to God. So he, because his desire is for you to desire him first. Y'all understand that? Oh boy, some of you are like checking out here. How many guys in here? Now, this is old school. So some of you get young guys, you, you won't understand this at all. How many of you older guys, when you were dating back in the 60s, <laughs> 70s, had your girlfriend in the front seat, and she was like glued to your side? Come on, get a witness. I had a 65 Chevrolet Supersport Impala. Oh! 327 V8 used more oil than it did gas. I mean, I'm telling you. But it was sharp. 
But there was a problem with it. It didn't have the bench seats. And kids are going, what's a bench <laughs> Had bucket seats with a console shift automatic. I mean, I'm telling you, it was sweet. Mustang Chevrolet, got it. So when I would go on a date with my little bride, my, my, my girlfriend, Mary Ratliff, we had to get a pillow and put it right there between. You remember that, don't you? Oh, baby, yeah, get, get her closer. Come on. I mean, it, was, it, wasn't even a, it was against the law, I'm supposing. You know, they couldn't do that today for nothing. He could pull up. What do you know? I'm sitting by my, I'm sitting by my, my, my girlfriend's over here, and she's like, "Well, you're not got a seatbelt on? No, we don't have a bench seat. What are you talking about?" The cop says, "What's a bench seat?" <laughs> you know, there's there was this elderly man, and he was driving down the highway, and his wife was over on the other side of the car, and they were just going down the highway. <laughs> she looked over him there, yeah, elderly, okay, like not me, elderly, older. <laughs> She looked over and she said, honey, you remember when I used to sit right next to you when we were dating? And he's over there and he says, well, I haven't moved. <laughs> Maybe God's saying, remember when you used to get right up next to me? He hasn't moved. We kind of move, don't we? We kind of slide over because we're doing our own thing. And he says, draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you. That's intimacy. He wants us to be intimate. He wants us to have this relationship where we just talk. And he, he talks, and we listen. Then we talk, and he listens. Then he gives us wisdom, and he gives us counsel. And he, he guides us. And during the day when, when things are a little tough, you get distracted. He says, hey, I'm right here. Don't forget. Oh, yes, God, you're right here. And you mean I don't have to make this decision? No, I'll give you the grace to make the right decision. And so many times, guys, we get so distracted because we're flirting with the world. And we're distracted because of good things even. And we forget that God wants to be right there next to us, speaking words of wisdom and life to us. Constantly. Intimacy means we move closer to God because he never moves away from us. Let me read that again and we'll read all the way through verse 10. Move your heart closer and closer to God and he will, even, he will come even closer to you. Listen to this church, but make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners. Keep your hearts pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Let me read that again. Feel the pain of your sin. Don't just go, I messed up. I just, you know, I do that all the time. That's just the way I am. That's just the way I'm brought up. And we diss our sin like it's nothing. But God says, no, feel the pain of your sin. Feel the pain of your sin because the pain, when I took it, the nails, when I took the scars, when I took the spear, when I took the thorns, I felt your sin. I felt the pain of your sin. But when's the last time you cried over your sin? When's the last time you were sorry for your sins? Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful and weep. Let joking, joking around be turned into mourning and your joy into deep humiliation. Be willing to be made low before the Lord, and He will exalt you. 
Guys, you will never come to the place of repentance unless you're really sorry for your sins. It'll just be some words. It'll be some kind of action. But it won't be sincere until you come to that place where you're truly sorry for your sins. You cry out to God, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. And you repent and you weep and you're sorry for your sins. And then it says, when you come to that place of sorrow and repentance, it says, then he lifts you up. Wow. He lifts you up. He lifts you up. He's called this church to be a church that repents so we can repent and then we can return. Revelations 2, 4 says, but I have this against you. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. You have abandoned the passionate love. That's intimacy, church. You had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Now, here's the thing. He said, you have fallen, but here's what you do. He says, repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. You will lose your intimacy with God if you fail to repent. You don't lose your salvation. You will lose that relation, that fellowship with the king. You will lose that fellowship that he, he desires to have with us 24-7. We wear the 24-7 Jesus t-shirts, but he really means it. He wants to live in us and through us 24-7. Going back to marriage. Marriages lose their zeal after a few years sometimes. Sometimes after many years because they forget their first love in the sense of, oh, that's my girl. You forget the flowers. You forget the card. You forget the anniversary. God forbid you forget the birthday or Valentine's Day. But you get so preoccupied with what? The world that you forget. And he says, go back and do your first works again. So in other words, this morning when we have our invitation, I want you to be thinking, how, was that? how did I live for Jesus when I first came to him? Was I passionate for him? Did I just fall head over heels in love with him? What's happened? Have you lost that zeal, that passion? If you have, he said, just repent and return and do your first works over again. For some of us, that means we've got to go back to youth camp, <laughs> right? Because that's where you got the zeal. Woo, youth camp, I fell in love with Jesus, and you came home, and you were just doing really good for a while. And, but he wants us to have that passion all the time. And, and I know it wanes. I, I understand that. I know circumstances come. The cares of the world come in. That's why we have to have messages like this and reminders like this that we have to get back and repent and get back where God says, get back close to me again. I want to close with uh, verse 11 through 12. Dear friends, as part of God's family, never ask to speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is not to make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying that it doesn't apply to you, but your duty is to obey it. There's only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. So who do you think you are to judge? Your neighbor. The last thing I want you to see this morning is that we are called to edify. We are called to build one another up. I can't, I'm not going to do all the verses, but I want to tell you that we're called to build one another up. 
As long as you are at odds with people in the fellowship, in the body of Christ, and you have this against them, we, Jesus says, even if you have a gift, leave it at the altar and go back and make amends and then come back and present your gift to God. So in other words, if you want to walk in intimacy, you can't walk in this conflict with other people. You can't walk in conflict with your brother or sister in Christ. That's why he says, make it up. Take care of those things. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in repentance. And let him, let him edify you. Let him build you up. Let him hold you up and strengthen you. When we have to, when he's talking about obeying the law of love, he's talking about Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord's. I want to speak a blessing over you this morning. And it's about intimacy. And it's from the scriptures. It's just going to be straight out of the word. So if you want to receive this blessing, I'm just going to ask you to add, has an act, hold your hands up to like somebody's about to hand you something really nice, really good. Like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay? Because this is really, really good. Ephesians 1.17 says this, and I pray this over you. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your, de through your deepening intimacy with him. I bless you to know God in a way that you've never experienced him before. Or maybe you've experienced him before, but I pray for a fresh experience to receive and to walk in the intimacy that he desires for you. He says in John 17, I and the Father are one. He says, I want all of us to be as one. I live in you, you live in me.